I'd ask you to turn to the book of Isaiah, if you're not already there. Isaiah and chapter 8. All right, Isaiah chapter 8. Now, as you're getting there, I want to talk a little bit about names today. Now, I'm really happy, first of all, that you're, that you're here today, and I'm glad that Turkey Day was actually, Thanksgiving Day, I'm sorry, I call it Turkey Day some of the times. I'm glad that that is past us because you, you have no excuse to sleep, all right? The turkey, whatever it is in that particular thing, you have no excuse to, to sleep today. But we begin our first Sunday of Advent today. Now, Advent means, simply means this, it's awaiting the arrival of a notable person. That notable person is Christ, Jesus. Now, he's come the first time. That's what we're celebrating here. We're celebrating his first advent when he came to earth. But he is also coming a second time, and that is his second advent. So we're celebrating that, and he is, he was and will be the Savior the God-provided Savior of the world. And this series that we're calling the Advent, we're calling it What's in a Name? That's it. What's in a Name? Now, speaking of names, how many mothers do I have in here? Okay, quite a few. All right. So, how many, no, don't, how many fathers? You were... I'm assuming when you had your child, you took great care in understanding what you wanted to call your little boy or your little girl. You, I'm sure you spent hours and hours and hours upon it and wondering about it. Back in the day, I took, we took books, all right? My wife had baby name books. Well, as a whole, society doesn't do that anymore. They do things, they don't do things the way prior generations have done it. And I'm speaking specifically on how a child is named. All right, today, expecting parents, they, what, what do they name their children after? Or who do they name their children after? Many, it's the biggest celebrity of the day. All right, it's who, who oh man, that, that guy's popular. I like the name. I like her name. As of October 2021, the most popular name in the U.S. for a girl is Olivia, all right? For the boy, it's Liam. Now, nothing against the Olivia or the Liams of the world. I have, I have nothing against you. But I did some research about what these names meant, and I went to the site, and I have to make sure I get this right because it is copyrighted, babynames.com. According to them, they are the authority for name information since 1996. All right, so, all right. All right, the name Olivia. Primarily, it is a female name of English origin that means ancestor's descendant. Okay. All right. Now you want to know what Liam is, right? What, what's Liam mean? All right, Liam is this. It's a male name of Irish origin. I know, James, you're waiting for this on bated breath. You can't hardly stand it. All right, so it means with gilded helmet. What? 
okay. Again, I have nothing against those names. All right, in the distant past, children were named of what the hope of their parents, what they would accomplish. And or after they had lived long enough, sometimes they were renamed for their character trait. All right, so just one example. I, you'll, you'll know this for, for the future Bible trivia to come. The biblical name Nabal or Nabal. All right, we know him from 1 Samuel 25. So we go, oh, yeah, well, this guy was a rich guy. He was, a, he, he was one of the guys that David came to, and David asked for food and whatever else he could do, and Nabal said, nah, get out of here. You know what his name means? Fool. Now, I would hope that no one would ever name their child something like that. I'm assuming that he came to be known as that. But do you know many Judases? Do you know many Jezebels? I, haven't, I don't think I've met one of either. But regarding Jesus, the man who many throughout the world celebrate this time of year, it is a name that we will be concentrating on for the next four weeks. And it's my prayer that you will come away with a fresh perspective on this man who is and what he has done and will do in the future. If you would, again, turn your Bibles to the Old Testament book or on your devices to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And we're going to begin in chapter 8. Our passage is 9 through 1 through 7, but I wanted to make sure that we would get the context of today's passage. If you don't have a Bible, it's 573 on the blue Bibles in front of you, underneath the quilts. So you can pop the quilt up. The word of the Lord declares, 19, chapter, excuse me, chapter 8, verse 19. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth. But behold, distress and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness." But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. 
For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the, rod of the oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. For every boot of, trampling, of a trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of, Fe of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth, and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. May God bless the reading of his word. May we understand how great the name of our Savior, Jesus, is. The name, the description we will concentrate on this morning is simply, simply, wonderful counselor, wonderful counselor. And you might be thinking to yourself, why in the world are we reading from the book of Isaiah, which was over 700 years before Jesus was even born? Right? Isaiah wrote these things, 700 years. And I, if you want to have a time at Christmas time, the book of Isaiah is the fifth gospel. It is the gospel of the Old Testament. It speaks about Christ and what he will do and what he has accomplished and what will, he will accomplish so much. But even before Jesus was born, because like today is why we study it. They, he wrote it to them 700 years ago, before Jesus. But like today, God's people were living in a time of despair. Trials and half-hearted worship of God was taking place. Sound like today? Any trials, any half-hearted worship, worshiping of God going on in your neighborhood? Yes. Isaiah wrote of a time of judgment coming upon Judah and the world because they had turned away from God. They had turned to their own devices and anything else they could come up with. They had turned from God. But the Lord also promised a future. What did he promise in Isaiah? A suffering servant will come. And that takes place, we understand that from Isaiah 53, the suffering servant dying for the sins of the world. Well, the backstory of this particular writing is King Ahaz. All right, King Ahaz is on the throne right now, and he's the king of Judah at the time, and he's been asked to join an alliance of nations. This is important. You'll, you'll understand this in a minute. An alliance of nations. Syria and Israel, the northern kingdom, Judah is where Ahaz is king, they've asked him, join forces because Assyria, Assyria is coming. Assyria is going to kill us. They're going to wipe us off the face of the earth. And the Lord challenges Ahaz through Isaiah. He says, don't do it. Don't do it. Trust in me. I will take care of you. Well, the Lord challenges Ahaz and stand firm, be a man. And in the year 734 B.C., 
recorded for us in Isaiah chapter 7. Go ahead and turn there. Isaiah chapter 7, I'm sure you've heard this before, beginning at verse 11. The Lord asks, talks to Ahaz, and he said, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol, that means the grave. It's another word for the grave. As deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, which is Isaiah speaking now, hear then, O house of David. It's the kingly line. He's speaking of the king then because Ahaz is a descendant of David. Listen, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now we understand that Emmanuel, because we know this from Matthew, it means God with us. God with us. Now I want us to look at this. The verse should still be up there. The word for virgin in the, in the Hebrew language, it's Alma. This means a woman of marriageable age before she has had the birth of a first child. So this covers a big multitude, covers, well, it cuts it down, but it, it's a woman of marital age who has not had her first child yet. Well, the name Emmanuel, as I mentioned, it means God with us, and God was with Judah. He hadn't left them. So this took place in Isaiah's day. If you turn then to chapter 8, the prophecy comes true. The prophecy comes true at that particular time because Isaiah went and married what is called the prophetess. We don't know what her name was, but she's called in the book Isaiah, the prophetess. She conceives they have a child. Now, his name, I'm going to mess this up, but again, for you Bible trivia folks, if you were here last summer, this is the longest name in the Bible. Thank you that I was not named this. Mayor Shalal Hashbaz. Wow. Which means spoil speeds, the prey hastens. A sign. A warning, if you will, to Ahaz, listen. But Ahaz, he cowers. He gives protection money to Assyria. So much so that it brings Israel, or Judah into a depression. So much so they're paying more taxes to Assyria than they have to live on. They are in dire, dire straits. The Judah is burdened. The good old days. Remember the good old days? They're a thing of the past. They're gone. And because of this, it leads the people to be into a really, really dark place. Looking for answers from anyone in any place they possibly could. We read that earlier when we read about the mediums, the necromancers. They were looking for counselors. Anything. Well, speaking of counselors, I've already 
spoke about my generation, but in my father's generation, well, uh, who am I kidding? In my generation and some of yours, to say that you were seeing a counselor? would have meant, I'm just admitting I'm, admitting I'm weak and ill-equipped to face life. But church, each one of us needs people to speak into our lives. We're called to have that happen. We are called to look at someone who is a Christian, who is biblical, who gives us biblical insight and we learn from them. You who have biblical insight, give it. The one next to you needs it. We need encouragement. We need counsel. We need encouragement regarding life. And there are pressures now that have never been present before. 24 hours a day, bombardment of news. 24 hours a day, you can go on the internet and find out what is happening across the world. In literally seconds, you can have a text that comes from Europe that gets here. We know what's happening. How about some of you younger folks, the felt need to measure up to influencers, social media, I've, I've got to I, have to, I have to measure up to them. I have to make sure my house looks like theirs. I have to make sure that I'm dressing like them. Their family's perfect. Really? Really? Temptation to keep up with the Joneses. And always, which is not new, a temptation to go down the wrong road. And the pressures are immense. And, and there are many counselors. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily good ones. There are many counselors vying for your attention. Anyone have an iPhone or an iWatch? All I have to do is ask Siri, Siri, can you tell me this? And if you don't like a woman's voice, just go on Google. You go on the Google machine. You can find out any answer you possibly want. It isn't that we need someone to speak to us. We need someone to speak truth. And we need someone to give us the answers and comfort and guidance that we need. Well, we began in Isaiah 9, or excuse me, 8, 19, with people seeking guidance from the dead. Wow. Really? Well, as one man has said of this passage, he said... Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? It's a question mark. Well, that's, that's over 700 years before Jesus was even born. We're now 2,000 years past when Jesus was on the earth. 2,000 years from then. But, but it's not that unusual. It's quite routine to have a person on either morning television or a show on TLC to describe what a person, quote-unquote, from the dead wants to tell you. 
We clamor for wisdom and insight and counsel from people from beyond the grain, or the grave, excuse me. What have we learned, question mark? Practically nothing. In almost three millennial, we're the same. As one of my favorite teachers says, things are now as they were then. We have need of a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. All names pointing to an individual. All names pointing to the one mentioned in Isaiah 7, 14, Emmanuel, God with us. But so much more. Because Mary, oh, I'm not even going with that Shazbaz name. He was not the ultimate fulfillment. He was not the mighty God. He was not the Prince of Peace. He was not Everlasting Father. And He was not Wonderful Counselor. But it pointed to someone so much more than the son of Isaiah and the child's mother, the prophetess. The one who was named in Matthew 1. Emmanuel, God with us, the one born of a virgin. This time, the Greek word describing a woman who had not had sexual relations. Very, very specific. It only could have been God with us. Well, for each of the four names found in chapter 9, verse 6, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince, and prince of peace, we're going to ask these questions, just two questions. What does it mean? And why does it matter? What does it mean? And why does it matter? What does it mean to be called Wonderful Counselor? Well, let's turn back in the Bible to the book of Psalms, please. Just turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 78 to be specific. Psalm 78 And it starts in verse number 9. The word translated wonderful in Isaiah is what, it, what is called here, it's an abstract. It, it means a quality of something. It's not an adjective, it's an abstract. And what, so what this means is the counsel of this one is marvelous, it's extraordinary, it's wonderful. In Psalm 78, the same word that is translated in Isaiah is translated wonders. The wonders that God did, the wonders that God performed. And the psalm says that the fathers have told the children about the wonders that God has done. It's important to tell your children, your grandchildren, and those who will listen. What's God done in your life? What's He done? And the psalm, they say the fathers, they've told the children about the wonders of what God has done. They look back, they remembered, and this should have fostered trust. When we hear what God does, my goodness, he's done this in the past, he'll do this in the future, he will do this now. Well, in verse 9, it said that the Ephraimites, even though they had, had the latest and greatest military equipment, were turned back. They were defeated on the day of battle. Well, why did this happen? It wasn't because they were outbowed. 
All right? They had bows that, were, that could reach far, way far. They could reach out and touch someone. They weren't outnumbered. They weren't outgunned. It was because they had forsaken God's covenant. They had failed to keep his commandments. And they had forgotten what he had done in the past, the wonders that he had shown them. Now, each one of us, you might think, well, what wonders of God? What, what has he done for us? What has he done for me? Well, for one, you're alive. For each one of you, you have clothing. For each one of you, you probably, probably had a decent meal this week. I'm not even talking Thursday. You've had a meal. None of you probably are, you're probably not hungry. God has done many great things for you. Well, what had he done for the Israelites? Well, what? What had he done? Only all that the fathers had witnessed in and leaving Egypt. The psalmist recounts, he repeats, well, remember when God parted the Red Sea? And they would have naturally thought, okay, yeah, I've heard these stories about great, 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 great grandpa told me about, the, told him and him and him and him and went down. He stacked up the waters of the Red Sea. What else did he do? Well, he had a pillar of fire that they would, would protect them at night and show them where they were supposed to go. There also was a cloud in the daytime. It, it actually covered them. They weren't, so, they weren't so overheated during the day. There was, oh yeah, this little thing that's rock that was split apart when we were really thirsty, when we didn't have any waters, and rivers of water came from a rock. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And there was, yeah, there was bread from heaven for 40 years. Oh, yeah, I, I remember that. And, oh, yeah, there was that time that quail came. And that was kind of a good and a bad thing because we got that meat because we had disobeyed. But yet it was good. Only God can do that. It is a wonder it's an amazing thing. It's marvelous. Which means his counsel, Emmanuel's counsel, is exceptional. It's the nearest word in Hebrew to describe the idea of supernatural. His counsel, supernatural. The bottom line is the son who is given will provide wisdom far above any human wisdom that you can receive. It's greater than even Solomon's. Well, back to Isaiah 9, 6. So when he speaks and declares that the government will rest on his shoulders, now this didn't happen to that Hashbaz guy. This didn't even happen to Christ on his first, in his first advent. This wouldn't come as a surprise that he would be described as a wonderful counselor. What this means, church, is he is a wonder in himself. Only God. Only God. He's already described in chapter 7 as God with us, and now in chapter 9, God for us. And put all these traits, may I say attributes, together, and it could only be the one person who fulfilled them all, and that's Jesus. Well, we look at today, we would think, okay, well, who has a multitude of counselors? Well, speaking of counselors, all right, a national leader would be foolish 
to govern without counselors. I mean, even a business owner is foolish to govern without counselors. Men and women, we're foolish if we govern our own household without the counsel of our spouse. Well, concerning the United States, the president has 24 people at his disposal, which is called the cabinet. 25 if you count the vice president. And they give the best information to the president so he is able, hopefully, to make a decision, make an informed decision. Proverbs declares this. He says, plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. So we need counsel. And a natural leader would be a fool if they had no advisors. A natural leader would be a fool. What kind of leader would have no counselors? What, what kind of leader? No advisors? This one, this one has no counselors. In Isaiah 40, I'll read it to you. Don't, you don't need to turn there. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? The natural answer would be no one. We see this in Job as well when Job is confronted by God. Where were you? Where were you when the foundations of the world was, was put? No, you weren't here, were you? It was me. It was God. It was God. And a Captain Obvious moment, this child, this son that is given, this wonderful counselor is no ordinary child. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. I do want you to turn here. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 41, and it's where 12-year-old Jesus has traveled with his extended family from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the Passover, and the large contingent, probably about the whole town of, Jeru of, of Nazareth, has gone with, and they traveled as a group, and they celebrated this Passover at Jerusalem for probably almost a week. They were there. They were seeing what they were celebrating, what God had done. And then after the week, they left for home. Now, they leave for home, and they're, they're one big, giant, extended, happy family. And after a day, Mary and Joseph, doing a head count, uh, the tallest one is gone. Jesus? Jesus? Where are you at, Jesus? But believe me, there's no pressure here. They just lost the Son of God. Well, they, they go back a little quicker than what they left. I think they're, they turned their face like flint towards Jerusalem. They headed back. And after three frantic days, mamas, you ever been there? 
You ever lost your kid? You ever been in a store and all of a sudden they don't show up? And that's only for a few minutes that seem like hours. Three days, they find him. And where's he at? He's in the temple dialoguing with the scribes and asking questions, which means he was having full-blown theological conversations with these people. That is no ordinary child. And we're amazed, and we can only, what, what, what did Mary think? What did she feel? I don't care what she thought. What did she feel? First of all, she was panicked. Then she found him. Joy, and I don't, Mary did not have a halo over her head. I think she was probably really, really angry. Because she's, why did you do this? She asked, why did you do this? And then in verse 49, Jesus answers, and he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Now think with me. They didn't understand and if I could jump up and down, make a big emphasis on this, of course they didn't. This was no ordinary person. Mary treasured all these things in her heart from the time that she was 13 to 16 years old when the angel came and said, you're going to bear a son. From that time forward, she treasured these things in her heart. They made no sense from a human perspective. I can't argue this. It doesn't make sense because it's supernatural. But it doesn't make it less true. It's God's mystery being made known. Are we any different? when you can't explain how God's Son came to earth in human form, how He lived a perfect life and fulfilled everything under the law perfectly, how He died a perfect death, a perfect prophesied death, I might add, to pay the penalty of sins that we ourselves should have paid, but we couldn't. Because the only way we could pay that would be eternal death. He was buried. He rose again. He defeated death in the grave. Can you understand that? Can I explain it adequately? No, I can't. And it frustrates me. And he now lives sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for you. He's got your back. And you and me being a person who is so unworthy, so unworthy. Jesus is the child who the Jewish people were indeed waiting for. They were looking for all these things, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. These were, expect, were messianic expectations, I can speak. But many missed him. Many still miss him. 
He is the child that grew and accomplished all that was written of him. He's the one who will deal with your fears, your distress, your disappointments, and more importantly, your sin. He'll deal with your darkness. And he does that when he brings you into his marvelous light. Understanding this truth, now I want you to go back a few verses in Luke 2. We're still in Luke. When the child had been brought to Jerusalem to present him before the Lord. An old man named Simeon, he was both righteous and devout, and the Holy Spirit had let him know, you will see the Lord's Christ. Wow, that's a promise. And the Holy Spirit revealed to him, I don't know how he did, but he must have saw the young family and said, that's the one. And he went and he asked the mother who was holding the child, can you imagine that? This crazy old man's coming up to me. What's, what's he want, Joseph? Joseph, step up. I want to hold your boy. The boy not being any more than 40 days old. Simeon took him up in his arms and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, and you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. A counselor gives revelation. A counselor gives understanding. And we'll hear this again throughout the season, and the words of the angel rings true again and again and again when he said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Have you seen God's salvation for yourself? We've heard about him. It's not good enough to see or hear about God's salvation from your mother or your father or your sister or your brother or your child. You must see it. You must have it for yourself. Have you only witnessed it through others' eyes? Have your eyes been opened and seen his salvation? God with us? God with you? God providing what you need? I ask it sincerely because it's so needed. The wonderful counselor. But why does it matter? It matters because of the darkness. The darkness that's outside in the world and the darkness that's inside us as well until the light shines upon us. Look back at verse 2 now in Isaiah again and we'll finish. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now, this is speaking of the life that is lived without the counsel of the Savior. It's darkness. You can have the whole world, but still be so uncomfortable, so unfulfilled. And you can have nothing and have God and you have everything. To live in darkness means to live without real purpose, God-given purpose. Living in distress and sorrow, living in the dark. The Bible describes it without Christ, life without Christ this way in Ephesians. And hear me, we're almost done. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. That means the unbelievers in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Jesus even describes those without him as living in the dark and liking it. But he came to shine a great light for those living in the dark who are, liking, who are liking the dark and need to be liberated from the dark. He is the light of the world. He is the one who has come to offer truth. The wonderful counselor declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's sing aloud.